It's hard to think of a better prophetic witness for this particular time than this gospel story. Let's take a moment to locate ourselves at this moment in Jesus's ministry. This gospel passage comes at the end of discussions between Jesus and the Pharisees, who are his colleagues in faith and observance, about how God's laws should be observed. In Mark's gospel, we've seen Jesus heal a man's hand on the Sabbath. We've seen Jesus heal a chronically ill woman with a bleeding disorder, whose touch would have made him ritually unclean. We've seen Jesus drive demons out of a man into a herd of pigs. And immediately before this passage, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, and the gospel has him saying, it's not what comes into a person's mouth that is unclean, it is what comes out. So an attentive reader of the Greek scriptures at this point might say, this is a discussion about whether we should let the bureaucratic red tape of observance get in the way of meeting our neighbor face to face as God intended. But then we get to the passage we read this morning, and when I read it, it became for me less about the bureaucratic red tape of observance and more about who God's compassion applies to at all. Because the Syrophoenician woman is not Jewish. Mark doesn't hesitate to let us know that in this telling Jesus is traveling entire. This part does, of Judea does not have a concentrated Jewish population. Jesus doesn't want anyone to know he's there. And Mark tells us that the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. The history between the Jews and the Greeks during this time is complex and um, fraught. She may not even be a monotheist. Her daughter is possessed by a demon, but not actually in immediate danger of losing her life, probably. Why should Jesus care? She's got her own gods to look after her. She should pray to them. What if she actually offended them and her daughter's affliction is a punishment that she is supposed to be suffering? Jesus has a mission and it's not to everyone, it's to God's chosen ones. His power and his compassion are not for her. Right? When I was preparing this sermon, I had a sermon from Father Dion uh, several weeks ago in mind, and uh, you may recall it. It was the story of the woman with the bleeding disorder who makes her way to Jesus, believing with all her heart that if only she can touch the hem of his cloak, she will be healed. And Father Dion entered into this woman's mindset with empathy and compassion and sketched a picture of someone who had suffered for years trying one cure after another and finally being told, sister, Go to this man, he can help. And as I was reading this passage, I wondered, who told this unnamed Gentile woman that Jesus would help? What made her ask? And what made her persist? Because I think a lot of us have probably had the experience of knowing that something was not meant for us. And I think that many of us may have tried to ask for that thing anyway been told no, 
been told, been made to feel ridiculous even for asking, oh no, how could you? Of course that wasn't for you. How could you have been so presumptuous as to think that it was? How could you ask to take food from the children's hands? And I think some of us on hearing that kind of answer have probably thought, you know what? They're right. That was a dumb question, and I should not have asked. It is also very, very human to want to guard our stuff, our time, our attention, our abilities. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we can probably also remember a time when we wished that someone else would just understand that this wasn't for them. So when Jesus tells the Syrophoenician woman basically to um, stuff it, it's not fair to take food from the children and feed it to the dogs. I am shocked. I'm not surprised. It is a natural and normal human response to protect the things you have. And Jesus was a very natural and normal human being. What surprises me is the Syrophoenician woman's response. In Mark's telling, she immediately answers, Even the dogs, Lord, may take the scraps that fall from the children's hands under the table. This woman knows she's not included. She was never meant to be included. And she says, okay, fine. She doesn't say, I am a woman made in the sight of God, and you will treat me with respect, which she could have. She says, fine. I am less than human. I'm a dog. But even then, my daughter was made in the sight of God. My daughter is a living thing, deserving of care. And even then, your God has not forsaken me. I am dwelling on the Syrophoenician woman's persistence, admittedly at the expense of the rest of this great gospel passage, um, because in other parts of the Greek scriptures, we do see Jesus encourage persistence for people who are already in recognized relationships. The faithful are encouraged to ask God for what they want over and over again, not to stop until they get an answer. The widow who is denied judgment from an unjust judge has a valid claim which the judge is refusing to honor. And she is encouraged to persist until finally the judge says, this woman is so annoying that I'm going to give her what she wants in order to get her off my back. To me, this passage shows up as someone encountering Jesus who has no prior relationship, not in his group, no specific claim, isn't someone he owes anything to, and she's up in his face asking, okay, who does God's compassion apply to? And Jesus says, well, maybe it does apply to you. For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Just to make sure we don't miss the point, Mark shows us travel, Jesus traveling in Decapolis, another heavily Greek region, and healing another man whose identity is not mentioned, but is also likely to be a Gentile. This man quite literally cannot speak for himself. There are no snappy comebacks that he can exchange with Jesus, and Jesus still heals him. So is that it? Has the question been settled? 
The good news of Jesus is coming applies to everybody. We have an example from the teacher himself that we shouldn't judge others by their observance, but always act with God's love. Everyone gets included, right? I suspect if that were the case, we wouldn't really have to have James' letter that we read in the epistle. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? My day job requires me to spend a lot of time interpreting very bureaucratic regulations in the most precise and annoying way possible. And had I been asked to make rules from this gospel passage, I would have been all over this. I mean, like, all right. So in order to receive healing without a prior relationship, you have to demonstrate persistence, you have to have significant need, it doesn't have to be life-threatening, but, you know, maybe it impairs like three out of your four activities for daily living, and you have to humble yourself, and you have to uh, be intelligent, you have to match wits with Jesus. Jesus isn't here, so we'll have to find some sort of equivalent for that. You have to be able to find help, even if it's concealed from you. This would not have gone well. This would not have meant great things for the Christian community. Um, so since we have the benefit of history and we know from the earliest days of the church that the church has wrestled with who gets ministered to, how, and why, we know that Jesus' healing of these two Gentiles is not the end of it. If, that, if it were, we wouldn't have needed the earliest councils of the church, which came to the conclusion that Paul could minister to the Gentiles, that non-Jews did not have to observe the laws of Moses in order to be considered Christ followers, Peter's vision in Acts, where God tells him that nothing that God has created is unclean would be totally unnecessary. But since James is asking us, if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill. And yet you do not supply your bod their bodily needs. What is the good of that? I think that question probably is necessary. Relationship is indispensable for communities working together and achieving great things. We cannot do anything for others in our midst unless we understand what they need and we can't understand it without a long and close relationship where each of us are attentive to the other and we want what is good for the other. But when it comes to the question of who is part of my group, who will I pour out my precious resources for? Reading this passage makes me ask which matters more, that they are part of my group or that they are created by God? And I, this sounds glib, glibber than I mean it to be, because every resource on this planet is scarce. Many of them are getting scarcer. War, climate change, disease, life on this earth are impacting us all. Our physical bodies and our emotional wells are depleted by almost two years of a global pandemic. Our time is limited. It is not fair to take the food from the children's mouths and give it to the dogs. We can't give to everyone. But another more, slightly more modern theologian uh, wrote in 1500-ish 
uh, Martin Luther, also wrote during the time of plague. And there was a question about how the community should help and support one another during that time. And he says, a man who will not help or support others unless he can do so without affecting his safety or his property will never help his neighbor. He will always reckon with the possibility that doing so will bring some disadvantage, danger, and loss. No neighbor can live alongside another without risk to his property, safety, wife, or child. He must run the risk that fire or some other accident will start in the neighbor's house and destroy him bodily or deprive him of his goods, wife, children, and all he has. So to me, it really is not a question of who's in my group, nor should it be. We are all bound together whether or not we like that fact. We support each other, even with limited resources, or destruction will overcome us all. We can and should trust to God's care and compassion, especially in those things which are well beyond our powers to mend. But some things are in our powers to mend. And I think then we have to ask who is outside of our group, who shouldn't be. And when we do have the chance to mend something, I think at least one grace in this gospel lies in the persistence of the Syrophoenician woman who met Jesus where he was. And in the grace of Jesus, who in her answer recognized her call and allowed himself and his ministry to be formed by her request. And my prayer is that when that request comes to me, as I'm sure it will, that I will recognize it. And I too will recognize my teacher in that moment and say, since you have said that, I will do as you ask. And I hope that you will too. Amen.